Hi, everyone. Good to be with you. Hope you had a Merry Christmas, and just glad to be back with you on this last day of the year. I want to make one comment about the uh, Bible reading group that's on the app. Um, uh, you, you need to get a, an invitation or a link from me in, a, in order to join our actual Bible group so that you can see the comments that we're making because we sort of interact with each other throughout. So if you haven't done that and you want to do that, come grab me before you leave today and I'll, I'll share the link with you and we'll make sure we've got that all set. So uh, it's, it's been really fun to... Uh, to chat with each other virtually throughout the year and see people's insights and questions and all of that. So let's turn back to the Gospel of Luke. Last week, we, of course, read the story of the birth of Jesus. Uh, coincidentally, it happened to be, you know, Christmas Eve. And, uh, and we're going to continue the story and look at a, a bit of um, the gospel that is often sort of overlooked because there's so much attention on the birth that that the second half of that chapter gets sort of forgotten and it covers sort of, you know, a lot of time. It's really the childhood of Jesus. So the second half of Luke chapter 2 uh, shows us just a couple scenes in the childhood of Jesus. And Let's take a look at it together. This is Luke 2, 22 to 52. Luke writes, Now when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be set apart to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is specified in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout, looking for the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, Simeon, directed by the Spirit, came into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary according to the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, according to your word, sovereign Lord, permit your servant to depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So the child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Listen carefully. This child is destined to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be rejected. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, having been married to her husband for seven years until his death. She had lived as a widow since then for 84 years. She never left the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came up to them and began to give thanks to God and to speak about the child to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So when Mary and Joseph had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. 
filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. But when the feast was over, as they were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but because they assumed that he was in their group of travelers, they went to day's journey. Then they began to look for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard Jesus were astonished at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were overwhelmed. His mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. But he replied, why were you looking for me? (laughs) Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Yet his parents did not understand the remark he made to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with people. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, in this moment of silence, would you speak to us about your word? Lord, would you draw all of us in our minds and hearts back into the temple courts where we can sit with Simeon and Anna and Joseph and Mary and the teachers discussing the scriptures and meet you. Lord, let us know you. Let us hear your words. Let us have eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, This week uh, around the table, my family and I had an interesting discussion. Uh, The question came up, it was like an either-or question, uh, just generally speaking, open to interpretation, but it was childhood or adulthood. And it was interesting to hear, you know, between my kids and my in-laws were there and and Aaron and I, as we're processing this question, everyone's perspectives of what's better, childhood or adulthood. And, and, you know, thinking back myself into childhood and what I really loved about it, I had a, a, a pretty idyllic childhood and, you know, the things I didn't like, the awkwardness or not understanding what was going on and looking forward to having responsibility or whatever, um, you know, uh, uh, thinking about, yeah, yeah, which is better, which is better. I wonder how you would answer that, childhood or adulthood. Some of you might be thinking, well, I can't really remember any parts of my childhood. You know, I hope it was good. You know, others, maybe it was uh, an incredibly uh, wonderful time. You can remember, you know, playing with your siblings and, and camping and, and whatever else, uh, childhood or adulthood. There are parts of both that are wonderful. There are parts of both that are really hard, too, right? There's, 
there's things that happen to every single person, no matter how protected, no matter how much of a bubble you're in, there are things that happen to every single person that will shape you and form you uh, for the rest of your life. There are pains and losses and things you don't understand and, and conflicts, no matter how much of a bubble you're in. And of course, those things stay with us. You know, a lot of people say we really spend most of our lives just recovering from from childhood in a sense we only get this one little glimpse of Jesus childhood these these verses that we just read and really the first half of the passage that we read is Jesus infancy it's it's just you know a um uh, a few weeks after his birth his parents have waited the uh the prescribed amount of time before they have to go to the temple and be purified. The fact that both of them had to go probably means that Joseph was intimately involved in the birth and both of them had to be cleansed in the temple. So good for him. You know, he was there catching um, at the birth. And so uh, we get this one little glimpse at the beginning. This is the very beginning of Jesus' childhood. And then the next scene that we get is at the end of Jesus' childhood. In Jewish culture, when you turn 13, you become an adult. So what we have is the bookends of his childhood, his infancy and the, and the very end, like weeks before he's going to go through his bar mitzvah and become an adult. And, and Luke doesn't give us a single glimpse of his life in his hometown where he's growing up and learning, uh, you know, learning the trades and, and, you know, skinning his knee and all of that stuff. All that he gives us is these scenes in the temple. That's all that we see. And, and Luke is writing this gospel to a, a, a Gentile, a guy who doesn't really care that much about the temple, Theophilus. And yet the only thing Luke wants us to see is what happens when Jesus goes to the temple. You know, it's interesting, speaking of the Bible reading group, those of us who uh, are finishing year one today, we finished the book of Second Chronicles, and Second Chronicles is, is the second um, telling of kind of the rise and fall of the kings and the nation of Israel, just like how there's four gospels, there's two tellings of the kings uh, in the Old Testament, and and at the very end of Second Chronicles, um, Babylon sweeps in and they, they conquer Israel and they, and they take them out. And, and the way um, the story ends in Kings is you, you see that there's a, a son of David who survives and gets to sit at the emperor's table. And, and there's a little bit of hope that the line of David might survive. Well, by the time Second Chronicles is being, is being written and they're, they're looking back, now, that, now there's no son of David anywhere in, you know, to be found. And their only hope is that at the very end, the last thing that they record is... Babylon falls to Persia, and the king of Persia allows the people to rebuild the temple. In fact, the king of Persia says God told him to rebuild the temple. And so the temple from that point on 
is the sign that God's going to redeem his people. It's what they could hold on to. After you know, Cyrus rebuilt it and, and it was finally finished by Herod, the temple that Joseph and Mary go to every year for the Passover is the sign that God is going to restore, that God's going to fulfill his promises. That's all that they have to cling to is the temple. And so Luke brings his audience there and has his audience meet Jesus there. We don't go all the way inside. We don't see Mary and Joseph offer their sacrifices. We don't see what they're doing on the Passover. All we see is people reacting to this little boy. That's what we see. It's interesting uh, the way Luke tells his story. All throughout his story, he likes to pair people together. You know, he, he has Jesus telling parables, and he says first a, a parable about a man sowing seed, and then he tells a parable about a woman baking bread. You know, he, in, uh, in the very beginning, he uh, tells the story of Gabriel coming first to an old man, Zechariah, and then a young woman, Mary. And here in the temple, we get the story of this pious old man named Simeon and this pious woman named Anna. It's like Luke is making sure that people know this Messiah is for all of you. He's for all of you to meet. And when Simeon gathers the baby into his arms, he starts to say something that would perk Theophilus's ears. Remember, Theophilus is like, what are these Jewish people, this little sect of Jews who, who think that the Messiah has come? What, what do they think? You know, what, what's important about them? Well, Simeon gathers the baby into his arms and he begins to pray. And he prays words that come from the prophet Isaiah. Here's what Isaiah says. I, the Lord, officially commission you. He's the, this is the Lord is talking about his chosen servant, the ones who, who's going to redeem. I take hold of your hand. I protect you and make you a covenant mediator for people and a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to release prisoners from dungeons, those who live in darkness from prisons. Simeon has been praying for that for his entire life life. And God revealed to him at some point that before he dies, he's going to meet the one who fulfills those words. And that's the baby he takes into his arms. That's how Jesus' life starts. There he is in the temple. And Luke says three times in two sentences that Simeon is being led by the Spirit. He's full of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fills him. The Spirit causes him to say this prayer about Isaiah 42. And then suddenly we're swept to the end of Jesus' childhood where instead of Simeon and Anna, the two voices we hear are Mary and Jesus. And there he is, you know, in the temple. It's such a, you know, I heard people chuckling at the scene, like Jesus' response to Mary. And she's, of course, she's upset. It's been days. She hasn't found her son. It's, he's been missing now by her math for four days. Like, 
my gosh, he, you know, he's, he's 12, he's, he's almost an adult, you know, that they're traveling in a big group. There's, there's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't be keeping a really close eye on him. They're, you know, they're traveling with extended family, and, and he's growing in responsibility, and, and you know, he seems to be generally a good kid. <laughs> it's Jesus. <laughs> risking heresy here. Um, so, yeah, so he, he disappears, and they find him there and and we get this amazing response mary you know mary says you know don't you realize how anxious we've been looking for you and jesus's response which she doesn't understand is why were you looking for me didn't you know i had to be in my father's house and luke says they didn't understand what he was saying but there's something about jesus response that is supposed to be the answer to Mary's anxiety that Jesus is connected with his father. That his father isn't Joseph, but the one who dwells in the temple. It's amazing, these scenes that we get. What Luke wants us to see is who Jesus is and what he is. That he's the son of God who's the savior. He's bringing light to the nations and glory to the people of Israel. That's what Luke wants us to see. The only other words that we get about Jesus' childhood are two summary statements that are almost exactly the same. They go back to Nazareth when he's an infant, and what happens? Jesus grows in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. And then after this you know, thing when he's 12, they go back to Nazareth and Jesus grows in wisdom and in strength and in favor with God and people. Interesting. This, um, these statements that Luke makes were the source of some really significant debate when the church was still pretty young, you know, when, when the Christian movement was still very young. I'm talking about like in the 300s. This became the source of some major debate. Um, by now, uh, one of the centers of the church was the town of Alexandria, which is in, in Egypt. And Alexandria is where, you know, the scholars, the Christian scholars would gather and they would talk about theology and whatnot. And, and the bishop of Alexandria is named Alexander. That's coincidental. It's not named after him. Um, you know, and he's, he's known as kind of this humble and wise guy. But there's this upstart teacher named Arius. And Arius, uh, wherever he goes, whenever Arius, you know, gets up to speak, he's such a dynamic teacher, and he, people are so moved by what he has to say. And, and what Arius really wants is for people to see the scriptures in a way that they, you know, they understand, like, oh, this, this is for me, salvation is for me. And, and there had been some major debates about the Trinity and, you know, how whether it's three different gods or one god and and they'd kind of settle all of that but you know the 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 dust was still settling from that major debate you know when people debated theology in the 3rd century like they would kill each other if they disagreed so it's kind of messy um so the dust is all settling and Arius doesn't want them to fall back into that where they they slip into thinking there's three gods um and he's looking at passages like this, and he says, oh, I know. I, 
we've got this wrong about Jesus. If Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature, that means he wasn't yet, you know, God. He wasn't yet the person that he was going to become. And so Arius started teaching uh, these catchy lines, which probably sounded better in Greek or Latin. There was a time when the sun was not. And, and it got so popular that there was like protests in the streets where people are carrying signs, you know, and, you know, pro- I don't know, probably not painting their face. You know, that's how we do things now. But, um, you know, carrying signs. There was a time when the sun was not. It got so popular. Now, why did, why, why did Arius want people to think this? For him, if, if Jesus was always God, then we could never relate to him. That's what Arius thought. We could never, like, do what he did. For him, this was about salvation. If, 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 if Jesus was God, then there was no way that anyone else could could be as obedient as him and, and have the kind of faith that he had and, and fulfill the law in the way that he fulfilled. And Arius thought the key was that Jesus would be our perfect example and we could follow his example. And, and this was a really exciting idea to everyone. Why? Well, guys, tomorrow's New Year's Day. What do we do, you know, culturally? Stephen talked about it. What do many people do on New Year's Day? They make a plan for the great me that I'm going to become. You know, the, the stronger me, the fitter me, the, the smarter me, the, the one who doesn't do those habits anymore and does these good habits. And, and, and this is what we do. We, we want to, you know, we have this optimism about who, what we can become, who we are. And, of course, people clung to Arius' ideas. Yes, oh, I see this great example in Jesus, and, and that means that I can do it too. Arius' ideas became incredibly, incredibly popular. And yet there was great conflict over it. The, the, the leaders of the church were arguing because Alexander and his student Athanasius, I don't know why they're all A names, but it's really convenient for memory. Um, uh, so Alexander, his student Athanasius, and, and several others, they, they, they said, this, this is wrong, this is heresy, you know, the, we... We've, we're missing out on several scriptures, like like the beginning of John, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and, and, and the Word was with God in the beginning. You know, this, all these claims that, that Father and Son and Spirit have been together forever. And so this major conflict happened, and it got so bad that the emperor, Constantine, forced all of the church leaders to come together in a big meeting and try to work it out. That's called the Council of Nicaea. Isn't this fun, church politics in the fourth century? Okay, why the heck are we talking about this? Well, Arius and his followers and many of us every January 1st, we long for the same thing Eve and Adam longed for. We long for some sign that we can do it ourselves. 
We long to be like Jesus. Oh, I want to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. I want that too. And so if we can come up with a way of thinking about this that says, yes, this is what this is inviting me to do, then, you know, we sort of baptize that longing to make it a good and holy longing. Mm. I'm grateful that eventually this brilliant guy named Athanasius, he was Alexander's assistant at the time, then he became the bishop of Alexandria, and then he was driven into hiding, but that's another story. Um, He said, wait, Arius, you've forgotten a key word. And that word comes from Philippians chapter 2. Take a look at this. You should have the same attitude, yeah, back, yeah, the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave by looking like other men and by sharing in human nature. Leave that slide up, Georgia. Emptied himself. The word there is kenosis. This, this was the key word for Athanasius, kenosis. See, what, what, what Arius forgot, the reason that, um, that Arius thought, oh, it can't be that, that Jesus you know, was God all along, because then even as a baby, even as a little kid, you know, he would entirely know who he was and what he was. He wouldn't have to grow in wisdom and, and in favor with God and men. All of those things would be there. But Athanasius said, you've forgotten kenosis. You've forgotten that God chose to empty himself. That the Son in glory from eternity past chose in order to redeem us the ultimate humiliation. How crazy it is that Jesus had to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. Let's take that all the way back. The the glorious, perfect, all-powerful, infinitely wise Son of God, the Word through whom the world was created, became a zygote. I mean, think two cells dividing into four, not even a brain developed, not even fingernails developed, became totally dependent on his mother's milk, had to learn language, had to learn coordination. It is so important for us to hang on to kenosis. God emptied himself because, friends, that means he is with us at every stage in our lives. When I asked that question, childhood or adulthood, some of you thought back to your childhood and thought, no way, I never want to do that again. But if kenosis is true, then God knows what it's like. Friends, if you don't think that at different points Jesus skinned his knee or had a bad dream and need to, needed to come into his parents to ask them, you know, 
to help him get back to sleep or, or had to, to cry when he didn't know the words for, for how to communicate something he needed. If you don't think that he got, you know, indigestion from overcooked whatever they're eating. <laughs> like, friends, your theology is too small if you don't think he's been through all of that. As I've been thinking about this, you know, and thinking about my own kids and, and childhood, I think, oh my gosh, Jesus was with them in every moment of that. He knew what it was like to long for his mother. He knew what it was like at age 12 to be pulling away and becoming an adult and realizing who he is. He went through every part of that. At the very end, after his resurrection, Jesus says, remember, I'm with you to the very end of the age. Yes, that means that he's going to be spiritually present with us. And growing in our faith is growing in our awareness of God's presence with us. But that also means he is relating to us. He can empathize with you in everything that you're going through. Friends, I, I love watching the different ups and downs of your kids and my kids. I mean, I think of, you know, I think of James longing to be with you, Stephen, when you're up here playing, you know. I think of other James, you know, working out being a big brother, you know. It's, it's working it out. <laughs> uh, I mean, I... I think I, I look at like the different stains and spills that we have around and the, the noises that we hear. I, I, you know, our, our kids, when they're all dealing with runny noses and spreading it all around to each other and, and, and watching them learn to connect with you and watching you learn to connect with them. And, and, and I think, Jesus, you knew what that was like. He's traveling back and forth from Nazareth to Jerusalem with this group of people who have watched him grow and raised him. Just like your kids with this group of people traveling. Friends, he's with us. I love these scenes in the temple. I love that Luke takes us to the temple where the people expected to meet with God and we don't get all the way in when Simeon realizes, oh, God's here. We, we don't get all the way in when Mary and the teachers are listening to boy Jesus realizing, who is this? Who is this? Who's learning and growing. Friends, because He humbled himself. He has made a a way for us to grow. Your longings are good. Your longings in the the new year, whenever you make a new habit, that's a good longing. It's not bad. It's not bad. But if if you are trying to do it the way Arius wants you to do it, to just earn it yourself, then you will find yourself forever on the outside of the garden trying to get in, out in the dark, alone. But if God has come to be with you, this is perfect, then he will lead you in.
if God has come to be with you. So friends, the childhood of Jesus is a sign of the grace that's being offered to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have come to us. You've come all the way to us. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you understand what even those, those parts of our life where, you know, we're looking up at all the tall grown-ups all the time, not sure what's going on and why are they talking about politics or whatever, Lord, you, got, you understand that. You get it. Thank you, Lord, that there is no part of our life that is lost to you. That you faced every bit of it. Lord, that you faced the longing to eat dessert before dinner. So, Jesus, in this Christmas tide, we just say thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being with the kids of this church. Thank you for being with the adults of this church. Thank you for walking through every part of our ups and down, up and down lives. And Lord, thank you for what you've done in our midst this year. Lord, through the pain and the joy, you have been faithful. And we give you the glory now. In Jesus' name, amen.